to admit something a little bit here. Um, I did say, and I've said many times, that I feel bad going through the minor prophets, and I sometimes worry that I may have actually made a mistake choosing to go through all of them because uh, they're usually kind of depressing. I don't feel that about Habakkuk 1. And there's a simple reason for that. And this is just between you and me, a hundred of my closest friends and uh, whoever is watching online. But I'm a pessimistic person. If you know me, you might know that. I, I don't generally see the glass as half full. It's usually half empty, and then I'm actually wondering if I'm kind of deluded at what little amount is in the glass. I'm a pessimistic guy. I, I am easily prone to doubt. It's something that, I, that, that just is natural about me. I'm told that it's something that's normal for my generation. I'm from Generation X, which means we're cynical and uh, kind of pessimistic. And I'm, I'm told that that's a normal thing. And that doesn't always mesh well with the gospel and with, well, church. There's always some, well, there's sometimes this thing that gets in me when I come to church on Sunday mornings and everybody is really happy and really smiley and everything is going perfectly and people have everything together. Something grates at me at that point because I'm pessimistic and like I said, prone to doubt. And I look at Habakkuk, 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 Habakkuk. Say it loudly and with confidence and nobody will question you. (laughs) Just saying. When I'm reading Habakkuk, I actually see something that's very beautiful to me because it helps me to understand that I'm not alone in the kind of stress I sometimes feel when I talk about God and when I hear God spoken about, about the goodness of God and the majesty of God and the truth of God and the sovereignty of God and the goodness of God, all of which are true, and I believe they're true. When I see the world around me, I mean, have you been in the world lately? It's not all that shiny and happy most of the time. And it's not just because we're in Newfoundland and it's, and it's raining and drizzling all the time. The world is not a wonderful place all the time. We see terrible things happening. Uh, I don't know if you've watched the news lately. There's wars and war- rumors of wars. They're happening all the time. Apparently, this has been going on for a very long time. I remember a song I used to listen to back in the 80s, uh, We Didn't Start the Fire by Billy Joel. just lists a whole bunch of things going on in his life, and some of them good, some of them bad, and that's kind of the way life seems to be. And yet, I believe that there is a good God who rules and reigns over all things, who knows the end from the beginning, who, as my favorite verse says, works all things together for the good of those who love and serve the Lord and are called according to his purposes. Romans 8.28, in case you're interested. And yet there is so much wrong in the world. 
And sometimes when I come to church and sometimes when I'm around my believing brothers and sisters, love you all, but I have to admit that this sometimes happens to me, I feel a little bit, a little bit bad because I'm not always perfect. I'm not always happy and sometimes I have doubts. Now, I'm going to be careful here because the word doubt is not the same as a word that some people use, uh, the way some people use it. I mean that I sometimes have things like, I don't know where this is all going and I don't understand why this is working the way it is. I don't get it. That's what I mean when I say I have doubts. Unfortunately, there are people who have the idea that because they have doubts, that that's disbelief. Doubt and disbelief are not the same thing. That's the reason we have two different words. Unfortunately, people will say uh, in church that if I don't, uh, if I don't always see the see the glasses half full, or I, I don't always see the the beauty in, in everything that's around me, that, that that somehow I'm not really a good believer because I'm I'm not happy all the time and smiling all the time, and that's when I love coming to a book like Habakkuk. Because Habakkuk, he's not happy. (laughs) And he has a fundamental problem. He has a tension in the way he's seeing the world. And it's a justified tension. I'm going to honestly argue here that it's a tension that we as believers should be living in all the time. Because just by a word of, this isn't heaven. The church that we have here, while it is a foretaste of the goodness of God, this isn't heaven yet. We have not yet arrived. I'm sure there are some people somewhere who may have arrived. You know, we like to pretend that I have arrived. We haven't arrived yet. We're still sojourners in this world. And because we are sojourners in this world, and because this world isn't what it should be, and evil is a real thing, there needs to be a bit of a stress, a tension in our lives, a tension that we see in Habakkuk. And, and those of you who have similar problems to me, have a bit of a pessimistic bent and sometimes have doubts and have sometimes problems understanding things and grasping things, God actually loves you and has put you in the church for a purpose. And Habakkuk shows us that it's a real thing, that it's a good thing, that there are people who sometimes don't understand You see, as Pastor Steve, the other one, often talks about and says, truth is not afraid of a question. And if you have real questions, if your heart is having real struggles, that's not the time to shut up. That's not the time to pretend that everything is okay and that, and that you, know, you don't need to talk to God anymore. That's the time you go to God with it. Because that's exactly what Habakkuk chapter 1 is. It's a prophet 
a prophet of God who is in the Bible. Okay, just just get this. There are 66 books in the Bible. He is one of 66 people over the last 7,000 years who got stuck in the Bible. I mean, he's, he's, he's more godly than the rest of us, really. He's got, he, he's made it a lot better than the rest of us. And he's got these doubts and he brings them to God directly. And that's a good thing. But there is something that we need to watch about it. There is something that we'll see in Habakkuk that will help us to understand and grasp it a little bit better so that we can live our Christian lives in the midst of the tension. Because here's the thing, faith actually helps you to live the Christian life while you have stresses and tensions and, dis- and, and, and doubts. And it can keep you from disbelief in the midst of doubts that you really honestly have. And of course, Habakkuk is a good example for this because he has a real reason to have tension. You remember I've been going through the minor prophets and we just finished last time I was up here with with a guy named Nahum. And Nahum talked about how God really, 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 really didn't like Nineveh. Like, really didn't like Nineveh. If you go through Nahum, Nahum doesn't have anything positive to say about Nineveh other than the fact it'll be destroyed. That's not very positive. Because Nineveh was, at that point, overruling the area that included Israel and Judea. Now, uh, Israel and Judah. Now, just to remember, Old Testament history, just just for the background... Uh, After the death of Solomon, the kingdom of Israel split into two parts. The northern kingdom was called Israel. The southern part was called Judah. Both, for good or ill, didn't really follow God very well. Sometimes they would follow God. Most times they would not follow God. And as a result, you end up with the prophets. And God, but though he is long-suffering... There comes a day when he says enough to the evil of, well, anyone, including his people. Nineveh came to, came to be, they grew large and powerful, and they destroyed the northern kingdom of Israel. Completely. And then God saved Judah miraculously. And we saw in Nahum that God was going to uh, punish the land of Nineveh, and he did. Nineveh was destroyed a few years later by the ascendant Babylonian Empire, or as they call them, the Chaldeans. You'll notice that in the text that we have today. The Chaldeans wiped out Nineveh, took it over and destroyed it. By the way, Nineveh is still a pile of rubble, uh, rubble if you go there today. It's just a little north of Mosul in Iraq. So you think everything would be fine. I mean, you've seen God actually fulfill stuff, right? Well, it was for a while. In the land of Judah, there came a king, a guy named Josiah. Josiah was a good king. He was trying to bring the land of Judah back into submission to God. He cast out the evil, uh, the evil and the, and the uh, 
idols and things that were existing. You can look in 2 Kings 23 and it'll tell you all about it. And then, well, came 2 Kings 23, 28 to 30. Now the rest of the acts of Josiah and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Judah? In his days, Pharaoh Necho, king of Egypt, went up to the king of Assyria at the river Euphrates. King Josiah went to meet him, and Pharaoh Necho killed him at Megiddo as soon as he saw him. And his servants carried him dead in a chariot from Megiddo and brought him to Jerusalem and buried him in his own tomb. And the people of the land took Jehoaz, the son of Josiah, and anointed him and made him king in his father's place. And just by way of note, the the kings that come, there'll be three more kings of Judah, and then Judah is going to be completely destroyed. (sighs) They're not good kings. So get the situation Habakkuk is in. He has seen God do wondrous things. God has, as he prophesied, destroyed an ascendant kingdom. The people of Nineveh faced destruction because of what they had done to the people of God. So he knows God is powerful. He knows that there are people who still seek to follow him. There was a king, Josiah. Everything looked great. Everything looked wonderful. It looked like people were finally coming back to God. And it's just destroyed at the last minute for nothing. Pharaoh Necho sees the guy and kills him. And that's it. And the new king is not good. That's why he says in Habakkuk, 1 verses 1 to 4, the oracle that he saw. And and it's interesting. Habakkuk sees a vision of the Lord God. And what does he do? He brings questions to the Lord God. This dude's got a lot of chutzpah. Because he says, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Because these, these false kings started destroying all of the good things that Josiah had done. All of the things that seemed to be following God were being overtaken by these people. Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you look do you idly look at wrong destruction and violence are before me strife and contention arise so the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth for the wicked surround the righteous so justice goes forth perverted the corruption of Judah what's left of Israel at this time it's bad because the good king is in control and now three bad kings come up The first one is replaced after about three months. If you look in 2 Kings 23, verses 31 to 32, it says this, Jehoaz was 23 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned three months in Jerusalem. Not a long rule, basically a summer job. His mother's name was Hamutel, the daughter of Jeremiah of Libna, and he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his fathers had done. So Egypt replaced with a puppet king. 
And then after that, he gets replaced by a guy named Jehoiakim. Jehoiakim was 25 years old. This is verses 36 and 37. When he began to reign, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Zebediah, the daughter of Padiah of Rumah. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his fathers had done. And then just a little bit after that, 2 Kings 24, verses 1 and 2. In his days, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up. And Jehoiakim became his servant for three years. Then he turned and rebelled against him. And the Lord sent against him. Notice the, what, it, what 2 Kings tells you. The Lord sent against Jehoiakim bands of the Chaldeans and bands of the Syrians and bands of the Moabites and bands of the Ammonites and sent them against Judah to destroy it. According to the word of the Lord that he spoke by his servants, the prophets. You see, Habakkuk has to deal with the fact that the, that the difficulties that he's facing, the evil that he's seeing, God planned it. God set up these things to happen specifically. Because after, after Habakkuk asks these questions, by the way, just as a side note, uh, I do actually think you should bring your questions to God. Your prayer should be actually what you're feeling and what you're believing. Like, don't, be so, don't worry about cleaning up your prayers if you're coming to God directly. Just say what you think. Say what you're feeling, what you're believing. Be honest with God. But I'm going to tell you right now, God will be honest with you. That's not always a good thing because, I mean, get the... Uh, the Lord simply reasserts exactly what we see in Second Kings 24. The Lord answers Habakkuk and says this, Look among the nations and see, wonder and be astonished, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. Now, while Habakkuk is doing this, Babylon is not yet ascendant. There's a vacuum that's been created by the destruction of Nineveh. Uh, the kingdom of Egypt under Pharaoh Necho has come north to try and take over the area of the Middle East. And the Babylonians are trying to take over the area of the Middle East. And there's a lot of fighting between them. And nobody knows who's going to win. And in the midst of this, God says that, says that I'm raising up the Chaldeans. Same word, Babylonians, by the way. That bitter and hasty nation. God knows they're bitter and hasty. Who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. That doesn't mean they're just people. It means they're self-righteous people. They believe they're just and their justice goes forth from them. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horses, pre horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar, and they fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence, and their, all their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff, at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. 
and they sweep like the wind and go on. And lest you think that God believes that these are good and noble people, these Babylonians, guilty men whose own might is their God. So Habakkuk has this big problem. He sees evil and badness and terrible things happening in his own kingdom. Because of a puppet king put in by Egypt, they're taking away all of the good things that are going on. And he prays to God, God, why the heck are you allowing this to happen? And God says, well, don't worry, I'll punish them with somebody worse than Egypt. And you'll, see, and you'll see Judah destroyed. See, again, God is going to be honest with you. Whether you like it or not. It's one of the things that I, I, I both love and hate about reading my Bible. You guys should read your Bibles. It's really good. But I'm going to be honest. So often when I read my Bible, I come against things that I'm actually guilty of. And so then I get this feeling in my, in my bones that I get when I come to something in the Bible that I, that I find in there that I, that I, that's convicting me. I got the choice. I can either skip it over, just go to the next page and imagine that's not there. Or I can repent. And God calls us to repent and he's going to call us to repent in things because <laughs> God doesn't want you to just have a light little happiness. He wants you to have joy for eternity. And that's going to mean you're going to have to be changed. Just like Judah is going to have to be purified and go through terrible things. Sometimes we're going to have to be purified and go through terrible things. God is good, but he isn't safe. If you want a safety thing, just go to modern universities, apparently. If you want truth, go to God. But he's going to give you the truth. See, God rose up the even more evil Babylon in the midst of this. So surprising, so... Strange, it seems. Ultimately, the Babylonians are going to destroy Israel entirely. Second Kings 24, verses 10 to 12. At that time, the servants of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up to Jerusalem, and the city was besieged. And Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to the city while his servants were besieging him. Besieging it, And Jehoiachin, the king of Judah, gave himself to the king of Babylon, himself and his mother and his servants and all his officials and palace officials. The king of Babylon took him prisoner in the eighth year of his reign. God told Habakkuk the truth, even though it's not good truth, and Habakkuk is not happy about it. And we get uh, the remainder of chapter 1 for Habakkuk to tell us how he doesn't get it. He really doesn't get it. Now, he, th he thought he didn't get it before when he saw Necho destroying, the, destroying Josiah and the bad kings coming in and justice being perverted in Israel. And now, well, Babylon's coming. So verse 12, he starts, Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We, we shall not die. 
O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O rock, have established them for reproof. So he's accepting what God's saying. You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong. Why, why, why do you look idly at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? <laughs> you make mankind like the fish of the sea, like, this is very poetic here, like crawling things you've, that have no ruler. He brings them all up with a hook and drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet and he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and makes offering to his dragnet. By the way, this is an image of Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar, who begins to worship his own power. His power gives him stuff, so he worships his power. And that's not God. Just, just you know, a basic thing. Your own power, your own heart, your own desires. That's not God. God is who he, re- who he reveals himself to be in Scripture. And Nebuchadnezzar is an idolater. And it's stated here he's an idolater. For by them he lives in luxury and his food is rich. Is he keep to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? This is... Habakkuk's question. Lord, are you going to allow this to go on forever? And this is, by the way, why why I didn't stop at verse 17 and I made Draven actually read the next verse because this is important. Habakkuk says this. I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower. Okay, I'm going to go where this is. I'm going to see what's happening. Lord God, I am going to expect you to answer me. I'll wait for your answer. I'll expect your answer. But I'll wait for it. I will look out to see what he'll say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. There are still, by the way, two more chapters of Habakkuk. This is not the end of the book. But I am going to stop here for a very, very simple reason. I told you about the, my, own, my own struggles with the goodness of God sometimes and the way I see evil in the world. And I honestly think if you don't see the world as having evil in it and you don't have a bit of attention there, you're not watching. Because this is where we live. Habakkuk 2.1 is where we live. We are in an already in the sense that God has come in Jesus Christ. God has saved a people for himself. He is redeeming people. He's redeeming me even now. But brothers and sisters, this is not the end. His redemption of us is not the end of the story. God is still answering the question. This is not the end of everything that's happening. This is merely the foretaste. Brothers and sisters, 
Yes, we live in an already and a not yet. Nations will continue to rage against the rule of God. It's going to happen. People we know in the world out there are going to rebel against God. Sometimes we'll find our own hearts rebelling against God. Sometimes the the evil are going to win. It's going to look like nothing is running as it should. That's going to happen. Those are the situations we face. Like Habakkuk, sometimes we're going to be living in a moment where things are going wrong. Brothers and sisters, most of us, if the Lord tarries longer than a few years, we're all going to die. People we love around us are going to die. It's going to happen. That's not the way it's supposed to be, but it's going to happen. Because this is not yet. We haven't reached the end of the story yet. And Habakkuk gives us a good view, a good vision of what it means to have faith in a time of an already but a not yet. You see, when he says, I will take my stand at the watchpost and station myself at the tower, he's clear about who God is. In case you're interested, the word that's being used for Lord all the way through, um, it's actually Yahweh. Uh, I apologize to my brother Derek for not actually saying Yahweh every time I saw the all-caps Lord. But if you see all-caps Lord in your Bible, it means Yahweh. Habakkuk is talking about the God of the Bible. And he knows who the God of the Bible is. He's not pretending that God isn't sovereign. He knows God is sovereign. He, say, he, doesn't, he knows that God is good. He said, you who are of purer eyes than to see evil. He knows who God is. He knows that God is the true God, not the, not the dragnets of the king of Babylon, but the true God of Israel. He knows who God is. And we know who God is, don't we? We've seen the Son, Jesus Christ, in our lives. Jesus Christ has saved us. Even in our darkest moments, we know who God is because he saved us. We know that God is a God who saves because he saved us. But yes, there is still evil in the world. So he's clear, Habakkuk is clear about who God is. He's clear about God's goodness. He's clear about God's expectations. He knows that what Nebuchadnezzar is doing by worshiping his own power is wrong and evil. And he expects an answer. He expects that there will come a time when there will be an answer, and he will know the truth. By the way, that's what faith is. Faith, by the way, is not believing against, against truth or against evidence. Faith is understanding all of the evidence and understanding where your truth should be in the context you're in now. And that's what we are called to be.
We are called to be like Habakkuk right now. Brothers and sisters, you who have come to know Jesus Christ, you who have been saved by his blood and resurrection, you know that God redeems. Brothers and sisters who have repented of sin and turned to the righteousness of God, you recognize that you yourselves are not righteous, but that God is righteous for you. You know what righteousness is. You know that God is good. You know that He is both good and the just He is both God and the justifier of the ungodly. You know this. You know that He has expectations for us as to how we're to live. We are to love our neighbors as ourselves. And that doesn't mean merely affirm our neighbors as ourselves. It means desire the good of the people outside of us. He tells us to love our enemies as ourselves. We know His expectations. And we know that in our own hearts, in the world around us, and even in our own hearts, we don't meet that credential. We're not, we're not that goodness. And so we know that right now, right now in our own lives, we are dealing with sin. Uh, if any of you says you have no sin, you're a liar. The Bible says that directly. We have sins in our own lives. We have evil in our own lives. And we may hate it, and we probably should hate it. It will not win. Because we know who God is, and God will answer. You may have all sorts of, uh, of problems, in of habitual sins, and of... Uh, things that you're addicted to, things that you fight. You know they're wrong. You know that they're problematic. You know that they're destroying you. But you know God, and you know they will not win. The things that seek to destroy you cannot win. Sin does not win in this game. Now, there's a tension because it looks like sin is winning, doesn't it? It feels like sin is winning. But ultimately, it won't win. And today, today, we live in a world where the vast majority of people are in open rebellion to God. That's just the way it is. You go out into the world, and <laughs> we're the only ones who know we're rebels. The rest of the world doesn't think they're rebels. They're just rebelling and kind of thinking it's the good thing to do. But friends, that rebellion will end. There will come a day when either sin and evil will be punished on the cross of Christ through the faith of believers, or it will be punished in individuals. We are in an already, but a not yet. And we know all of this is true because we look into the word of God and we see how God has throughout history, over and over and over again, proven himself that he both does the right and he redeems things that 
seem irredeemable. When Habakkuk watches Babylon destroy Judah, he knows that God has said that Judah will not be destroyed. We shall not die. And of course, we all know that the Babylonian Empire ended several hundred years before Christ. And Israel is still there today. Let that sink in. Habakkuk was saying this in hundreds B.C. And he saw that there was no possible way God could possibly redeem this. And yet God did. And he's waiting for it. But not only do we see that in Scripture, we see it in our own lives. Brothers and sisters, where were you when you came to saving faith in Jesus? Were you a perfect person? Were you all that all that in a bag of chips, as the kids say? No. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When I was running from God, God saved me. And I know in my heart right now that God is working on me right now. Has he finished? Nope. I have doubts and I have problems and I have sin and I have all sorts of things that are going on. But we're not in the end times yet. This is actually the way it is. An already but a not yet. God has begun his work of redemption in the world, but it hasn't finished yet. Brothers and sisters, first, remember who God is. Remember what God has said to us in his word. Remember what God has done in your life and in the lives of those around you. Remember who God is. That was point one. Point two, be honest with God. I I love that Habakkuk says exactly what Habakkuk is thinking. And records it for people hundreds of years later, thousands of years later to read. Because it undercuts the idea that you need to pretend everything is fine all the time. You don't. Be honest with God. If you have friends who are able to be uh, trustworthy around you and you should seek to have those kinds of friends, that's what gospel community is about. Be honest with them too. But primarily be honest with God. That's point two. Point three. Expect God to be honest with you. He is going to tell you the truth. Trust him when he says it and believe him. If God calls you to encouragement and to trust in him and joy, do that. If he calls you to repentance, do that. But trust that he will tell the truth. And finally, remember that all of the things that I've said, all of the things that we see in the word of God, all of the things that God has done in history, are God telling us about what the end is going to look like. see, 
Sometimes we as Christians tend to live in the past. We imagine that the things that God has said and done are things that we're supposed to remember as if they were just memorial things that we're supposed to think of just in the past. The reason that we are called to remember what God has done and what God has done in our lives is because that will teach us who God is and remind us of what he is going to do. Make no mistake, there will come a day when all things will be made right. Uh, As in the Lord of the Rings it would say, when all the things that are evil will come untrue. There will come a day when that happens. There will come a day when your sin will be no more. Praise Jesus. There will come a day when you will no longer struggle with the things you struggle with now and God will be in front of you and you will see him face to face. It's not yet, but it's coming. And when you have doubts, I'm not going to say if, when you have doubts, when you have struggles and difficulties, when things don't make sense because it's going to happen, trust that God will have an answer and wait for it. If you'll join me in prayer. Lord God, I... I praise you for your goodness and your majesty and your righteousness. And Lord God, I know that so often it's bad that I I have doubts about you. I have doubts about what's going on in the world. And yet, Lord, you are a gracious and merciful God. Let Habakkuk be written. So that, you, so that I can know that you are ready to hear my honest complaints, that you are ready to strengthen me in the face of all kinds of difficulties. But more importantly, there will come a day when I'll see everything as it should be. Though we see, glaze in a, gaze in a glass darkly now, there will come a day when we see face to face. Lord God, may we live in hope of that day trusting in who you are today and remembering who you've shown yourself to be. So we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.